Jesus is alive today for real. Let's take a look at John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to begin with verse 17. Man, Jesus is alive today for real. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now that I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Our Heavenly Father, I do pray that more than my voice, that your voice will be heard this morning. Lord, I pray that the word would not go to people this morning, but it would go straight to hearts. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Did you know, did you know that the television was invented only two years after the invention of sliced bread? Now, I assume that that's packaged sliced bread. I don't think up until that time everybody was eating loaves whole. It's this packaged sliced bread. Did you know that even though Fruit Loops have different colors, they all taste the same? They all have the same flavor? You probably knew that one. Uh, did you know that bullfrogs never sleep? If you've been out camping, you may have had a suspicion of this one because you knew that you weren't sleeping if one was nearby. Uh, did you know that the world's record for solving the Rubik's Cube is under five seconds, but its inventor took a month before he figured it out? I like that one. Did you know that in 2014, a, mission, a missing woman on vacation in Iceland was found? when it was discovered that she was in the search party looking for herself? I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> did you know, and being from Florida, this one may be my favorite, did you know that alligators will give manatees the right of way if they are swimming near each other? Now, how many of you this morning, just quick show of hands, said, I needed to hear that this morning? Anybody just said, boy, that is what I came to church for this morning, what was that kind of information? Uh, how many of the rest of you thought, what on earth does this have to do with my life? Show of hands. Uh, just, you know, it may be true, but what on earth does that, what difference does that make in my life? I bring that up this morning because on this Resurrection Sunday, I think that there are people in churches across America and around the world, maybe even this one this morning, that come with that same question. Okay, 
resurrection story. I get it. I hear it. I know it. But even if it's true, what difference does it make in my life? Now, for the past six weeks, we have been trying to answer that question. Jesus is alive today for real, but how does that impact my life? What difference does that make in my life? How does it change me that Jesus is alive today for real? Well, here's the good news. And this is good news that I have been waiting and waiting and waiting to tell you. Here is the good news. The resurrected Jesus is the resurrecting Jesus. The resurrected Jesus of history is the resurrecting Jesus of your life. And that's the difference that this makes in your life today. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to take just a quick little trip through the, the story of Jesus' life and show you some of the people whose lives are transformed by the resurrecting of Jesus inside of their life. And what I want to do is I want to visit just a handful of these people and see how Jesus resurrected their lives because it is a sign, a signal, a symbol of how Jesus can resurrect my life and yours. So let's dig in this morning. I want you to see that the resurrected Jesus is the resurrecting Jesus. The first place that we stop is right here in John chapter 11. Uh, The first place that we stop is here in John chapter 11 because what we see here is that the resurrected Jesus resurrects Nicodemus from the dead. Nicodemus is resurrected from the dead. Now Nicodemus, you are correct. I was trying to get to the end of the sermon. A little spoiler alert there. Lazarus. There we go. Well, that really takes the luster off the whole thing this morning, doesn't it? (laughs) At least it does for me. Lazarus was resurrected from the dead. We see that right here in John chapter 11. Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. Now, Lazarus has a fantastic story, if I can remember it right. Lazarus has a fantastic story because he is a friend of Jesus. What kind of friend of Jesus is it? When Jesus is in town, he stays at Lazarus' house. That's a pretty good friend. And Jesus is in town quite often because Bethany, where Lazarus lives, is really close to Jerusalem. So almost any time that Jesus is passing through to Jerusalem, which happens quite frequently, he stays with Lazarus. Man, to be a friend of Jesus, to have kind of the hotline that you would have, having Jesus as a person who stays in your house, man, that's pretty good. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. But... If you asked some people, Lazarus was also let down by Jesus. You see, probably in that town of Bethany, probably in that region, for sure in that area, Jesus had healed a whole bunch of folks. They had healed people that Lazarus and his sister Mary and Martha knew. They had watched Jesus heal strangers. They had watched Jesus heal people who didn't deserve to be healed, if we're going to be honest. And so when Lazarus gets sick, it's good to know people, isn't it? When Lazarus gets sick, Jesus is a friend. 
And so word gets sent to Jesus almost immediately. And the word that goes to Jesus is, your friend Lazarus is sick. And the message has a sense, he's not going to make it, Jesus. And Jesus, upon hearing that message, does nothing. He doesn't move. He doesn't rearrange his day. He doesn't reschedule anything. He doesn't call and start making arrangements to travel for nothing. For multiple days, Jesus stays right where he is. And eventually he says, it's time to go to Bethany. Now the thing is, the word has already arrived. Lazarus is dead. Now, I don't know exactly how Mary and Martha felt about seeing Jesus at this point. In fact, you you can read just a little bit of tension, maybe more than a little bit of tension here in this passage. In fact, Mary says, if you had been here, if you had been here. I mean, it's nice that Jesus came to the funeral, but, but wouldn't it have been better if Jesus had come to the ER? I mean, it wouldn't have been better if Jesus had shown up while he could have still healed Lazarus. The thing is, is that Jesus had a larger miracle in mind. It was going to be more than a mere healing. In fact, Jesus was going to stand at the foot of that grave and call out, Lazarus, come forth. Now, there are some folks that say that Jesus had to call them by name or else everybody would have come out. I, I don't know. But Lazarus, makes me wonder if there were two Lazaruses in that graveside, what would have happened? Lazarus, come forth. And the one who was dead is alive. The resurrected Jesus is a resurrecting Jesus. You see, you and I have places inside of our lives that we think are dead. We think they're gone. We think that they are past time. We think that they are completely hopeless. We think that there is no life in them. Susan and I are good at a lot of different things. Okay, maybe two or three. A green thumb is not on the list. In fact, you know, we have bought pictures of trees and grass and they died inside the frame after we got home. I don't know how that happens, but, but, but that's the kind of horticultural skills that, that, that we have. We bought a house in Panama City, and, and out front they had this little stub of a vine, something, and it looked bad. It, it, it wasn't, it, 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 listen, it was dying before we got there, okay? That, that, that wasn't on us. In fact, one of the kids had a friend come over, and they were standing in the front yard, and this kid just starts kicking at that thing, kicking at that thing, kicking at that thing. And I'm like, dude, man, that thing is already almost, what, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm kind of looking at the parent. I'm like, do you see? He's like, like what, are you, what are you doing here? But whatever it is, there, there was nothing that was left there. The strangest thing happened. It began to bloom. And it began to grow. And by the time we left there, it was the healthiest, best-looking thing around the entire house. We thought it was dead. 
We thought it was gone. We thought it was a waste of time. But there was life to be restored into that place. And let me tell you, my friends, there are places in your life that you have looked over, that you have considered, that you have examined, and you said there is no hope, there is no life. It is over and it is done. And the resurrecting Jesus wants to restore life into that part of who you are. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. You may even be holding some bitterness because you think God should have acted sooner and that God let you down in some ways. But hear me, hear me, hear me. He will restore life if you will allow him to restore life. There are parts of your life that he cannot wait to resurrect that you have lost hope in those places because that's the Jesus that we celebrate this morning. I would also point to another person that's intertwined into Jesus' life. It's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was resurrected from oppression and darkness. You see, you don't have to be dead to not be alive. You don't have to be dead to not be Alive. If Mary Magdalene was here, she'd call out from the back of the room, amen, because she's been there. Now, Mary Magdalene's a name that you'll, you'll run across throughout the Gospels. And she was in another one of the groups that was around Jesus that was almost as nearby, almost as close, almost as center circle as the 12 disciples. In fact, it could be argued that, that they were even closer to Jesus because... Um, they didn't take off and run at the cross. They stayed. They were there all the way through. In fact, her faithfulness was such that she was there at the cross. She was the first person to go to the tomb on Sunday. She was the first person to see that the tomb, had the stone had been rolled away. She was the first person to see that it was empty. And she was the first person to see that Jesus was alive and had a conversation with him and touched the living Jesus. But that wasn't always her life. That wasn't always her story. Someplace in church history, somebody has written a backstory for Mary Magdalene that describes an incredibly wayward and immoral life. I don't fully know where that story came from because that's not the story that we find in Scripture. The story that we find in Scripture is described in Luke chapter 8. We also see it in, in Mark chapter 16. The story that we find in Scripture is that Mary was a person who had been oppressed and gripped by darkness. It tells us that she is a woman of whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Boy, we can't really imagine what it's like to live under that kind of weight, that kind of oppression, that kind of darkness. But Mary knew that darkness. Now the thing is, we don't see that darkness in her anymore because Jesus has already resurrected her and freed her from that oppression and from that darkness. What we find in Mary is that when the light of Jesus has replaced every bit of that darkness... But that's what the resurrected Jesus does. He resurrects us even from oppression and darkness. I, I don't know your story today. It is quite possible that, that you dressed up for Easter Sunday 
and you put on your church clothes and you put on your church face and you know the behaviors and the things that you're supposed to do when you're in church. But beneath those church clothes and beneath that church face and beneath those church politenesses, you know what it's like to carry darkness and oppression. You know what it's like to face evil. Maybe there's some brokenness that's inside of your life. Some bondage. Some places where you have let the evil one have access to your heart and to your life. But I want you to know that the resurrected Jesus resurrects hearts, lives, stories, bondage of people like that. Man, I'm grieved to say that we also know that sometimes people face darkness and evil and oppression through no fault of their own. But in this broken world, somebody else pours the very limits of evil into their lives. And it can feel like a Mary Magdalene experience that you are walking in the bondage of seven demons. But I want you to know that there is one who knows that pain even if no one else in this room knows it. There's a person who knows evil just like you have seen evil. And that's Jesus. He knows your story. He loves you. He cares for you. And he has a pathway to light for your life. And the resurrecting, resurrected Jesus can and will free you from oppression, bondage, and darkness. He will do it. He has done it. He's done it before. There's a good chance he's done it for someone else who's in this room right now. He will do it because that's the resurrected Jesus. And then there's Nicodemus. You knew he was coming, right? Nicodemus is a little bit different than the other two. Nicodemus was resurrected from dithering and doubt. You see, Nicodemus seemed to have everything except for spiritual confidence. Nicodemus was kind of a big deal. Now, now listen, when we look at Lazarus, well, you can see, well, that's the dude that needs to be resurrected. I mean, he's dead. If you came across early Mary Magdalene, you could look at her life and say, now that's the person who needs to be resurrected, who needs to be freed. But if you were to meet Nicodemus in town, you're like, dude, that is somebody. That, that is a guy. He, he's kind of a big deal. He, he is described as a teacher. He is described as a ruler. Sometimes we tell the stories of Jesus that there was this council of religious people, of important people in Jerusalem that were out to get Jesus. Get what? Nicodemus was part of that club. He was, an, he was a, one of the rulers that, that made those decisions, those councils, those things that were going on. He was a person of prominence, significance, influence. He had it together. He was a teacher. He was a big deal. But 
But somewhere, someplace in his heart and in his mind, he had a sense that there was something missing. Even though he had reached these high levels of prominence in his career and his position and his, his reputation, man, something was missing. And when he heard more and more of Jesus, he was drawn to Jesus. But on the other hand, he's kind of a big deal. All of his friends, all of his circle, all of his people, they're anti-Jesus. But Nicodemus just has this, he has this pull. And what we have here is we have this picture of this tension inside of Nicodemus between who he wants to be and who he thinks he can be. In fact, he goes to see Jesus in John chapter 3. He goes at night, basically so nobody will know he was there. So he doesn't draw attention to himself. And he has this deep spiritual conversation with Jesus. It's the conversation where Jesus describes to Nicodemus and to the rest of us that every person has to be born again. Nicodemus says, what? But he says, you have to be born again. See, you have to have a beginning of your physical life and you have to have a beginning of your spiritual life. That's the conversation that Nicodemus had. First person to hear that conversation. How great was that? But Nicodemus, there was still this pull, and yeah, I hear you, but what about my, you know, my people and all that? In fact, the Gospel of John weaves the story of Nicodemus throughout the entire book. It's a book the Gospel of John is about Jesus. But in the middle of it, there's the story of Nicodemus, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And so here at the beginning, there's the story of Nicodemus and his conversation with Jesus. The best spiritual conversation ever. And Nicodemus just kind of walks away. And in fact, in John chapter 7, the council is having this whole conversation. What are we going to do about Jesus? How do we get rid of Jesus? How, how do we do this? And, and there's, there's Nicodemus, still kind of torn. Still pulled to Jesus, but not really safe to tell anybody. In fact, in the middle of the conversation in John chapter 7, he, he kind of says just a tiny little thing in defense of Jesus. And the people around him slap back and say, oh, you're going to be one of the followers of Jesus? Ha, 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 ha. And Nicodemus backs up again. He had everything in the world but spiritual confidence. He dithered. He doubted. I think what's amazing, though, about Nicodemus is that Nicodemus steps forward as a believer the day Jesus dies. In fact, the disciples, as we've talked about, they ran away when Jesus was crucified. After Jesus' body has been declared dead, Nicodemus says, I'm with him. I mean, like he picked the worst time ever to associate with Jesus. But Jesus, through his death, resurrected Nicodemus from dithering and doubt. Man, it is possible that you're here today and you know that story of Nicodemus. Man, there's a pull inside of your heart to the things of God. The Spirit kind of pulls you every once in a while, draws you. You're, 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 you want more information. But then when you look at how it fits in the rest of your life, you're like, I don't know. And you back up. 
And then other times you, you, you step forward and you back up and you just can't quite pull the trigger of belief. I want you to know that the resurrected Jesus is a resurrecting Jesus and he can rescue you today from that dithering and from that doubt and he can help you say, I'm with him on this resurrection Sunday. We try to finish our messages with a statement that just says, now what? What, what do we do with this? And so we kind of circle back to the question at the beginning. Okay, all of this might be true, but what does this have to do with me? What, is this, what does this mean to me and to my life? Well, do you need a resurrection? Do you know someone who needs a resurrection? Romans chapter 10 verses 8 and 9 says this. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What difference does this make in your life? I want to quote the great theologian Grover from Sesame Street. You remember Grover? Grover was a big deal before Elmo upstaged him, all right? I mean, Elmer, Elmo, I mean, that's not the story. Grover. But, but do you remember Grover's famous bit? This, this is his best work. Grover's best work is, this is far... And Grover runs to the front and says, this is, this is near. And he goes to the back. He says, this is far. And he runs to the front. This is near. And he does it for about seven minutes. It's far and near. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Here is his word. That resurrection is not far. It's near. He says it is as near as your mouth and your heart. If you will confess with your mouth, if you will agree with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the one who has rightful authority over our lives, if you will believe in your heart that Jesus is alive today for real, he says you will be saved. Someone once asked, why do I always hear the same sermon every year on Easter Sunday. Well, it's kind of our best story. <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it, we don't have anything that comes close to Jesus died and rose again. It, it's also the theme of the holiday. But also, every year, someone begins a personal relationship with Jesus Christ on a day like today. Every year, people find a personal resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. This week, somebody sent me a text message and said, Pastor, I'm praying for you this week as you get ready for Easter Sunday. I love Easter Sunday. And they said, you know, one of the reasons why I love Easter Sunday is because my mom got saved on Easter Sunday. I said, my mom was... 84 years old when she got saved on Easter Sunday because resurrecting is what Jesus does 
And so I would say to you this morning, I would say to you this morning, would you like to be resurrected? Would you like the resurrected Jesus to do a resurrection inside of you today? Here's the difficulty or the complexity. It's not about reciting a set of words. It's not an oath. It's not a promise. It's not a code. It's not if you'll just say these things, then voila, you're a Christian. It's not reciting words. But it is putting words to where your heart is. In fact, that's what the Romans passage just told us. If we will confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, you will be saved. So it's not a code. It's not a verbal sprinkling over our lives. But it is putting words, a moment of decision that said, I want to live my life under his authority and under his forgiveness. And so this morning, I want to invite you to be one of those people that says yes to Jesus for the first time on Resurrection Sunday. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? It would be as simple as putting words something like this. Jesus, I'm beginning to understand my brokenness, my need, my separation from you. I'm beginning to understand the great lengths that you went to to close that separation through your cross to build a bridge across all that separates me from you. And so, Lord, on this day, I want you to do a resurrection in me. Resurrect me from sin. Resurrect me from brokenness. Resurrect me from oppression. Res resurrect me from dithering, from doubt, from darkness, from rebellion, whatever you need to fill in that blank. As you pray that, I can only give you the words that God himself has given. If you will confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And another part of God's word, he says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you are born again.